Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commands as we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It is uh, indeed our pleasure to be able to approach our loving Abba and be able to practice the Moedim to prepare for the day of our salvation. We know that in the autumn feast, we begin by celebrating the Feast of Trumpets, which we did, praises be to our loving Father. We also celebrated the Day of Atonement, and we recognize the forgiving power of our loving Elohim by sending his son, Yahusha, to die in our stead to receive forgiveness and salvation. Next, we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. There are eight days in total when we observe this festival, and the eighth day is set apart for a purpose and reason. We're going to find out the reason for that in our study today. And so let's begin our study in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, 33 to 36. Yahuwah said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, Yahuwah's feast of tabernacle begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present offerings made to Yahuwah by fire. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to Yahuwah by fire. It is the closing assembly. Do no regular work. What is the purpose of the eighth day as we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? The Bible says it is to close the assembly. It is to celebrate by presenting an offering of praise and thanksgiving to Yahuwah. You notice the eighth day is set apart for seven days. We are to observe the Feast of Tabernacles because we will remember Yahuwah tabernacling with his people. But he set apart the eighth day, which is what we celebrate today. Ever wonder why the eighth day is set apart? What is the significance of the eighth day in observing the Feast of Tabernacles? For us to understand the deep meaning and purpose of Yahuwah in setting apart the eighth day, we need to first look into the scope of the Feast of Tabernacle celebration. So let's go to the next slide. What is the message of the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, it begins, number one, a message to tell us and remind us that life on earth is only temporary. Next, life is like a wilderness. We know it's not easy to live life on earth. It is difficult. There's danger throughout the world. And also, lastly, the third, it reminds us that our permanent home is not here on earth. No matter how nice your houses may be, it's not permanent. Our permanent home is where? It is with Yahuwah God in heaven. And so let's take a look at each and every one of these points and learn the value of the eighth day. Let's first look at the principle that life on earth is only temporary. What proves? Life on earth is only temporary. Let's read the book of Job, chapter 14, 1 to 2. How frail is humanity? How short is life? How full of trouble? We blossom like a flower and then wither. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. How does the Bible illustrate the brevity of life? The Bible says, frail indeed is humanity. Is this true or not? person might say, I'm healthy and strong, but all it takes is one slip and fall, one tumor to be 
manifest in one's body. And there goes the end of life. Life is frail. Old people die, but so do young people. Even babies die. Life is frail. This is why the Bible says it's like a passing shadow. It quickly disappears. You see, it's not only humanity that is frail. What also is frail? Let's read what it says in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, 15 to 17. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is, what does it say? It's fading away. This world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So according to the Apostle John, what is the nature of the world? The world is fading away. This is why life itself, the world itself, creation itself, it's not permanent. It is temporary. We need to impress that in our minds and in our hearts because sometimes there is this mentality, especially with young people today, right? They think life here on earth is all that there is, right? But the Bible says, no, life here on earth is not all that there is. Yes, life is short, but how we live our life now, how we live our life today, determines how we're going to have our life in the age to come. This is why in our short life, let us do our best to make sure that in the age to come, we shall receive the blessing and the fellowship of our Father, Yahuwah. So far, so good. Life is temporary. What is the next principle the Bible teaches us? The Bible tells us the message of tabernacles is life is like a wilderness right? Truth is, the whole world is dangerous. Not only is it dangerous, it is also filled with sadness and death and sickness. People cry all the time. How many here received bad news today? It seems like every day people hear some kind of bad news, whether from the news or some person that we love. People cry. It is a sad world we live in. It's a sad world, and it's also a dangerous one. Do you know what makes the world dangerous how many here think it's weapons that make the world dangerous it's not really the weapons do you know what makes the world dangerous let's read what it says in the book of second timothy 3 1 to 4 but know this that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy unloving unforgiving slanderers without self-control Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. According to Apostle Paul, who is the source of the danger, which is why the world today, the last days, are perilous times. It's us, human beings. It seems that we get worse and worse with each passing generation. True or false? You know, when I was in high school, that was about five years ago. No, not quite. When I was in high school, do you know what the number one school offense was? It was talking while the teacher was teaching. Second, 
Were you chewing gum in school? What a nice world back then. Pretty safe, right? Do you know what the number one school offense is today? How many hear of uh, schools being gunned down? School shootings. It's like happening left and right. The world's not becoming a better place. It's becoming worse and worse, and they have better weapons that they can use to do what they want to do against the people they don't like. What's the root cause? It's because they, don't, they do not love Yahuwah. They love self. They love money. They love pleasure instead of loving God. And the one behind it, influencing it. Who is it? Let's read what it says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and the verses 8. Be alert. Be on watch. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's an enemy, and this enemy is a lion. Do you know to what our King Yahusha likens us to? What does Yahusha liken us to? Bears? A grizzly bear? Sheep. Have you ever seen sheep before? Yeah? You've seen sheep? Cute or ferocious? Cute. Pretty cute. Are you cute? I think all of you are cute. But when you imagine cute sheep up against a roaring lion, what do you think of? In Tagalog, kawawa. How do you say that in English? Oh, boy. I don't think pitiful is it. Pitiful? Yeah, pitiful. Woe to that sheep. He's going to be devoured by the lion. The whole world is the lion's playground. We, if we will not be on defense, if we will not be vigilant, what might happen to us? We might be devoured because he's looking for people to devour. This is why the world is like a wilderness. You know, when you are in a wilderness, it's different from when you're in a hotel. How many are in a hotel right now? Pretty nice and comfortable, right? They even give you breakfast. You push a little button and they bring service into your room. You get eggs and bacon or whatnot, right? In the wilderness, you don't get any of that, do you? In the wilderness, you're always on guard. You're looking to your left, to your right, to your left, behind you. You don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of dangers. This is why Yahuwah brought the people of Israel through the wilderness to teach them they need to be always depending on who? Yahuwah. Because if not, what might happen to them? They might get devoured by the enemy, the roaring lion. The whole world has become the victim of this roaring lion. This is why it's not only human beings that have the problem of danger. It's the whole world. How does the prophet Isaiah describe the condition of the planet Earth? 24, 4 to 6, the earth mourns and dries up and the crops waste away and wither. How many here drove from Southern California? Yeah, anyone here? Drive from Sister Glenda. She drove from Southern California. On your way here, right? You saw a lot of brown, didn't you? Saw a lot of brown, not too much green. The whole world is withering away. And the Bible says the earth is mourning. The earth is not singing. It is mourning. It is in a condition of dolefulness, a condition of sadness. The earth suffers for the sins of its people. For they have twisted God's instructions violated his laws and broken his everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must pay the price for their sin. They are destroyed by fire, and only a few 
are left alive. And so the world from the time about 6,000 years ago, when the Garden of Eden was ruling the earth, during that time, it was perfect. It was paradise. It became worse and worse and worse after that. This is why the problem of humanity, it's not evolution. It's what? It's devolution, right? It, it, everything's getting worse and worse and worse. And the earth is groaning. It is mourning. And it affects every individual on earth. So what has become absent? What's no longer present in the world today? The book of Isaiah 24, 7 down to 8. The new wine dries up and the vine withers. All the merry makers, what do they do? They groan. The gaiety of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful heart is silent. What has become of the character of the people on earth? Just like earth, they also mourn. Life today is characterized by sorrow and sadness. This is why in the world today, more and more people are in need of special medical attention because of the psychological stress that they face every single day in their life. The world is suffering. The world is groaning. As a matter of fact, do you know what also is groaning? What also is moaning? It's not just people. It's not just the earth. What also? does the Bible say, is groaning because of suffering and because of sin and decay. Romans chapter 8, 20 to 22, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, according to scriptures, what also is groaning, not just people, not just the earth, but also what does it say? All creation. That includes the stars and the universe. It's like the whole world because it's subject to the curse of Yahuwah Abba. The Bible says the whole world is falling apart. It is dying. It is decaying. It's getting worse and worse. This is why if you have some time tonight, because after all, it's tabernacles. Supposedly, we're supposed to go out on tents, live in tents. Anyone here gone camping before? When you go camping and you're next to the river or next to the beach, that's pretty nice. Maybe next year we can do something like that. And maybe next year we can practice listening to the sounds of nature. Would that be nice? How many here have ever tried to listen to what nature actually sounds? Yeah? Do you know how nature sounds? The sound of nature? Do you know? Next slide. Do you know what the characteristics of the sound of nature is? I want you to pay attention, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow night, maybe sometime. But pay close attention to the sounds of nature, especially when you're by yourself. For, next slide. Nature often sings in a minor key, a minor key, or chord which emit a melancholy or sad note of music. True or not? Very true. Next slide. Listen to the music of the trees. The music of the trees has been recorded, and it's doleful it's sad the wind blowing through the pine trees on a mountainside produces a wailing a sad cry not only that how about the shore and the waves the breaking of the surf on some lonely shore as each wave ripples ashore a sad melancholy sound can be detected 
It's almost as if the waves are sobbing, right? What else? The startled cry of a frightened animal or bird pierces the night air and chills the blood. I'm sure the people of Israel, when they were out camping and they listened to the sounds of nature, it reminded them of homelessness. It reminded them of sadness. It reminded them of melancholy. This is why they were driven to look for the one who is the source of true joy, Yahuwah Abba. You know, it's not just nature here on earth that we can listen into. Did you know that outer space, creation itself, also produces a groan? You know, NASA, when they study the galaxies, because many of us think that the universe is a vacuum, which is true, but there are certain galaxies like the Perseus galaxy that has some gases. And if you provide enough energy, like from a black hole, it produces a sound. And NASA released the sound of a black hole. You wanna hear it? Let's go ahead and take a quick listen to the sound of creation groaning. This is from outer space. Creation itself is groaning. Creation itself is permanent. It's subject to the law of sin and decay. It's as if those that are being submerged to the black hole, they know it's time for their doom. And so they cry out in pain, right? And so creation is cooperating with communicating the biblical truth. Life is not only short. Life is also dangerous and sad. Like what? A wilderness. This is why Yahuwah brought his people to the wilderness. To teach them that life on earth is not all that there is. There's something bigger, something greater. And when Yahuwah heard the groan of creation beginning in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first cried, you know what Yahuwah did? He set in motion his plan for redemption. This is why he would soon send his beloved son to carry out what am I going to say next? What is he going to carry out? Our King Yahushua. It's a calendar. Moedim. The appointed times. Next slide, please. Galatians chapter 4. 4 down to 7 is all about the Moedim. What's the proof? Next slide. It says, when the right time came. You know, Yahuwah does not do anything haphazardly. Yahushua does not do anything haphazardly. When they tried to make Yahushua king, he said, it's not yet my time. He had a schedule that he was following. What is that schedule? It's called the appointed times, the Moedim. At the right time, not just any time, but at the right time, the Moedim, Yahuwah is going to do something to address the problem of creation groaning. And so what did he do? Bible says at the right time, what did he do? Next slide, God sent his son. Born of a woman. And so a trumpet was sounded. Yahushua would be the solution to the problems of earth. But for Yahushua to be the solution, what must have to happen? Let's read the next slide, please. Bible says God sent 
our King Yahusha to buy freedom? What did it take Yahushua, uh, for Yahusha to purchase freedom for us? What did he have to do? He had to die on the cross. This is why the next Moedim is about atonement. And the atonement process was detailed in the first three feasts. In the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and also the Feast of First Fruits. And then on Pentecost, what happens? Yahuwah gives his spirit to his sons and daughters as a deposit that they are the people of God, that they have received the redemption from the blood of our King Yahusha. But we're not yet done to complete the Moedim. After redemption, he has the work of restoration. What is that? Next slide, please. We are going to be heirs. What does that mean? We will inherit something. Because if you're a son and daughter of Yahuwah, it means everything in the world. Because you're going to be an heir of God. An heir of our King Yahushua. But you know, we haven't yet fully realized the full meaning of tabernacles. Not until the day comes when that trumpet is going to be blown again. So that we can begin to inherit what has been given to us through the shed blood of our King Yahushua. Do you know what has to happen first? So that we who are his children, because right now we are children of God. You believe that? Yeah, but we haven't received yet the full rights of a child of God. We haven't yet inherited what belongs to us. When will that happen? Next slide, please. Romans 8, 2023, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we, believers, also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights. As his adopted children, including, what does it say? The new bodies that he has promised us. When shall we become heirs of the promises of you? When shall we inherit what Yahuwah wants to give us? When our bodies have been redeemed, right? Right now, our bodies have not been redeemed yet. And so we don't have yet our full rights as adopted sons and daughters of Abba, right? This is why what happens to us together with the world, we also groan. You notice what Apostle Paul says? We believers, we also groan, right? Why? Because we're so subject to this flesh we call the body. And human bodies, they get sick, don't they? They decay and get old, right? Doesn't matter how much you exercise, right? How much Botox, no. Doesn't matter how many vegetables you eat, how you watch your diet, people get old. When was the last time we saw each other mano a mano? The last time. Three years ago? Now I see all of you. You know what? You haven't aged a bit. <laughs> Something about the people of God. Huh? It kind of opposes that 
decay process for some reason. Gracious be to our loving Father. But you know what? Eventually, we're going to look old, right? We're going to look older. Eventually, we're going to die because we still have this physical body. Don't be surprised if you get sick. Don't be surprised if you cry because someone passes. It's part of life. Remember, we are in a wilderness. This is not yet paradise. This is not paradise. This is the wilderness. In the wilderness, we're going to suffer pain, including getting sick and people dying. But what's the good news? When that trumpet is blown, what's going to happen to our bodies? It's going to be changed. It's going to be a body that cannot die. It's going to be a body that will not get old. It's immortal. It's going to change when the trumpet is blown. And then if you notice what Apostle Paul says in the first passage, you notice what he said? All creation, including the black hole, right? All creation, what's going to happen to creation? Creation looks forward to the day when it will join the children of God in glorious freedom from death and decay. It begins with us. When Yahushua takes us and takes us to heaven, we will have that body, but we will come back for the millennium. And what shall we do? We will lead all creation during the millennium, that they too can enjoy the liberty, the freedom that has been introduced by the children of Allahim. Brethren, we have so much to be excited about. And when we are here leading all creation to again enjoy freedom, so it's no longer subject by Yahuwah's curse, you know what's going to happen to the sounds of nature? Take a look. Psalms 98, 4 down to 8. Shout to Yahuwah, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Very different from Isaiah 24, isn't it? This is all about the millennium. Sing your praise to Yahuwah with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before Yahuwah, the king. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy. And so during the millennium, it's not just the children of Abba who will be singing with joy. All creation is on its way to becoming regenerated, right? This is why, brothers and sisters, we are rehearsing right now to what life is going to be. We are communicating to the world. We are establishing by faith our trust in Yahuwah Abba, that when that day comes, when Yahushua returns, we will be instruments that many people will enjoy the freedom of Yahuwah as we, next slide please, live in the millennium. Can't wait for that. Do you know when that is? You don't know when it is? You don't know when? I don't know either. <laughs> but when that happens, my goodness, it's going to be the best party that you could even think of without all the bad stuff right it's a fellowship it's called a supper this is why the bible calls it a feast yahuwah wants his people to be happy and guess what the people of yahuwah are going to be happy when our king returns and we will bring others with us so that they too can be happy during the millennium next slide please the millennium will be a thousand years it's not forever a thousand years, a glorious age for the world under the leadership of King Yahusha. This is why as we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, next slide, 
what we're doing is we are basically rehearsing because the feast point to the millennium. When Yahuwah's kingdom, led by Yahusha, also using us as instruments, we usher in a new age. This is why, brothers and sisters, the Moedim is the plan of Yahuwah through Yahusha to redeem and to restore. The Moedim is what is followed by Yahuwah. Next slide. This is why when you think of the first Moedim, it begins with the Passover corresponding to Yahusha's death in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which corresponds to the burial of our King Yahusha. And then he rises from the grave, which is celebrated on the Feast of First Fruits. This is the work of redemption, right? After the work of redemption comes next, the Feast of Weeks, when the Spirit is given to the assembly, right? And then Yahusha returns for the Day of Trumpets. That's when we begin to become heirs and receive the glorious body. We go up into heaven with our king. We return to go with Yahusha to judge and to rule, to establish the kingdom, establish on the Feast of Tabernacles. So that represents restoration. We have redemption. We have restoration when Yahusha is sent. But take note, how many advents does Yahusha have? Two. The first advent, he's going to die. The second advent, he's going to rule. Two advents together. It's called the Messianic Age. Yahushua was sent long ago in what the Bible calls the last days. Do you know why it's called the last days? Because Yahuwah Abba has a seven-year plan for earth. Yeah. You see, Yahuwah knew that Adam and Eve was going to sin, right? He knew. He knows all things. You see, he had a plan for man. You know what the plan for man was? It is not a robotic man, but a redeemed man. Human beings who go through suffering because suffering forges character. That's what he wants. A human being with depth of character, forged by suffering, forged by pain. Redeemed man is what Yahuwah wants, not a robotic man. This is why he knew Adam and Eve was going to sin. But nevertheless, he created them because what he wants is a redeemed man and a restored future. This is why when we look at the seven-year plan of Yahuwah, right, we have one day corresponding to a thousand years. And the pattern for this is creation day itself. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, when Yahuwah says, after all things were created, the seventh day is to be called what day? Sabbath. You see, Yahuwah had a plan for Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. It's a day of rest for the earth too. One thousand years after Yahusha returns, Next slide, please. That's going to be the millennial reign. And that millennial reign is 1,000 years. It's called day seven. However, you know, the seven-day plan for earth, that's only temporary. The good part is the seventh day. We can't wait for the seventh day, right? But there's something even better than the seventh day. What day is that? <laughs> I mean, the seventh day for me, that's good enough. <laughs> I'll be happy with the seventh day. Wouldn't you? But man, Yahuwah, our loving father, he has something even better. If we thought millennium was good, he has something a lot, lot better. You know what he has? The eighth day. Next slide, please. This is why he set apart the eighth day. He has seven days, which is the number of completeness. The earth will be, it's planned for the earth. It's redemption and restoration will be done in 7,000 years. And afterwards, after the thousand years, 
of the closing millennium is going to be the eighth day. The eighth day is not for earth. The eighth day is for where? Next slide, please. It's, for, it's called the last great day for a reason. It's set apart for a reason. Why? What is that eighth day for? Next slide. Next slide again. That eighth day is for, next slide, for heaven. If you notice the pattern of tabernacles, when Yahuwah first tabernacled with people, he began with tents, right? What were, I mean, tents, movable tents, portable. It was called a portable temple because after all, they were in the wilderness and they had to go from place to place. And then it progressed. It became what? The temple, more magnificent. And then during the millennium is going to be a more magnificent millennial temple. But all that is still temporary. There's something more permanent. What is that? Heaven. Brethren, that's your true home. And that's the message of the eighth day. Heaven is our true home. This is why we go to the, our last part of the study, which is heaven is our true home. We were created to live, not here, but eventually to live in heaven. Are you excited about heaven? Yes. Raise your hand if you want to live in heaven. Raise your hand if you want to live in heaven tonight. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, brother, I want to live in heaven, but not yet. Because I want to finish school. I want to start my own, you know, business. I want to buy this and that. And so they're excited about heaven. But they're really not excited about heaven. They're more excited about something else here on earth. Because somehow, some way, there is this idea floating in our minds that heaven is boring. How many here have this thinking that heaven is boring? Yeah? What are we going to do in heaven? <laughs> like my kids say, what are we going to do in heaven, Dad? <laughs> what are we going to do in heaven? Any idea? I mean, it's going to be boring in heaven. I want to be here. I want to be in New York. A lot of action. I want to go to Las Vegas, right? A lot of lights. In heaven? Are we going to eat there? <laughs> what are we going to do in heaven? Well, for those who think heaven is boring, let's look at a snapshot of heaven, shall we? Let's look at the beginning with Revelation chapter 21, 1 down to 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And so what is heaven going to be like? Well, there's no more sickness. There's no more death. So if you are a doctor or a nurse, you'll be out of a job. <laughs> Did you get that? This is why I want my kids to be engineers. <laughs> Just kidding. We won't need engineers in heaven. Why? Because the, the heaven itself, called the holy city, New Jerusalem, is where Yahuwah Abba will tabernacle with us human beings. In other words, no need for a tabernacle made with hands. Heaven itself will be like our tabernacle. Yahuwah is going to make heaven his home and our home. We'll be together forever with Yahuwah. What else? No more death. No more cemeteries. 
No more death. The millennium, there's still going to be death, right? But here, there's no more death. No more tears. If there's going to be tears, I would suspect that it'll be tears of joy, not tears of sadness. But you know, when it comes to living our life in heaven, here on earth, it's different. It kind of gets worse and worse, right? Like a, a woman pregnant, and as the delivery date gets closer and closer, it becomes harder, more suffering, more pain. In heaven, it's the opposite. It gets better and better, and it doesn't stop because it's eternal. Do you get that? Brethren, it is eternal. No death, no pain, no suffering. What else? Revelation 21, 10 to 14. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so what is memorialized in the holy city? Israel. You notice that? Israel is memorialized. How so? The Bible says the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. And also the apostles. Because the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And it had the names of the apostles on them. This is why the people of Yahuwah is the people of Israel. How do we become the people of Israel? Through our king, Yahusha. It joins them together. We become a people in heaven through Yahusha. And we're going to live in the holy city of Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem now. I know there are those who came from Jerusalem not too long ago, right? We're looking at you. Maybe later on we'll interview you. Get some tips for our trip to Jerusalem. But you know, this Jerusalem is a different one. This is the holy city, right? And how does the Bible describe this holy new Jerusalem? Those who came from the trip in Jerusalem not too long ago. I want you to compare the Jerusalem you saw with the Jerusalem being described here. Okay, I want you to compare. Revelation 21, 15. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square. As wide as it was long, in fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate. Am I pronouncing that right? Agate. I've never seen a gate before. <laughs> a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. How many here just came from their trip in Jerusalem? No way near. No way near. <laughs> right? I mean, just take a look at what it's made of. It's made of precious stones. These stones you've never seen probably in your life, right? I've never seen, I don't think I've seen any of these things. 
It's made of precious stones. The wall, the gate, the floor, everything is made of precious stones, including gold. But you notice the dimensions of the holy city? Huh? What's the dimensions? How big is it? It's 1,400 miles length and width and height. And so if it's all equal length, width, and height, what does that tell you about the holy city? It's a cube. Yeah, it's a perfect cube. It's huge because 1,400 miles each direction, right? This is why a, an artist's depiction of the city looks something like this. Of course, it probably doesn't look like that. It's going to look a lot better than that, right? Because the architect is who? Gone. The architect of this picture is just a human being. <laughs> Nothing close to this. But kind of, you can see, you know, how it kind of looks like. You might say, well, it looks nice, but it... Not too impressive. That's because you can't see the breadth of it. You can't see the size of it, right? I mean, if we can give by comparison so that we can get a reference of how big it is, that's the size of Texas right there. You see Texas? Texas is a huge state, isn't it? But compared to the holy city, it's flat and it's small. The holy city is a cube, right? That's how it, that's how it compares with Texas. And so if you were to use the population density of London and use that as we look at the surface area of the New Jerusalem, 1,400 by 1,400, you know how many people you can adequately fit, comfortably fit? Next slide, 70 billion people. That's just one layer. <laughs> I mean, if it's 1,500 miles up there, you know, you can probably have elevators. Or maybe we can just teleport up there, right? But you have different layers. But it's huge, magnificent place, the new Jerusalem. What else? What else makes it a magnificent place? Revelation 21, 22. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its, is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day because there is no light there, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What makes the holy city distinct, unique, something you've never seen in our hum with our human eyes? Bible says it's going to be lit, it's going to be lit, right? It's going to be lit up. There's no night. What's the source of light? The glory of Yahuwah. The glory of God illuminates the city. The Lamb is its light. In fact, there's no more night in the holy city. You know, sometimes when you drive to Las Vegas and you're on this road that leads to Vegas and from a faraway distance, you kind of see the light overhead. Right? You see the light, and you go, oh, it's almost Vegas. I can't wait to go to the city of lights. That's not the city of lights. That's nothing compared to this one. This one does not abate, it doesn't get weak. It's glory, ascends and ascends forever and ever. That's the holy city. But that's not the best part. You have eternal life, no suffering, no pain. You got a city made of pure gold. Just, I mean, just the ground is made of gold, right? You have lights, but that's not the best part. You know what the best part is? Let's read. 
the book of Revelation 22, 1 to 5, and he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. You know, sometimes when we think about heaven, we ask ourselves, what am I going to do there? We're going to serve. But you might be thinking, isn't that boring? Oh, no. No, this is a different kind of serving. Remember, our body is going to be changed, right? And the kind of serving we're going to do is we're going to reign over the creation of Yahuwah. Do you know how creative Yahuwah is? I mean, just think of the cosmos. Just think of the number of species. You know how many species there are on the planet? How many different species? Like 9 million. You see how creative Yahuwah is? You know, some people think, oh, heaven's going to be boring. You know, when you say something like that, when you say uh, heaven's going to be boring, you're basically saying Yahuwah is boring. But you know, Yahuwah is not boring. Look at what he created. Look at the sunset. Look at the stars. You know who invented music? Who invented music? Yahuwah. Who invented rap? Well, it's still music, right? Who invented beauty? Who invented beauty? Who invented pleasure? Who, who created all the species, all the different kinds of beautiful sceneries in nature? That's Yahuwah. You see, Yahuwah is not boring. We're the ones who are boring. It's us. We're boring. Yeah. But Yahuwah is magnificent. And the Bible says we're going to be serving. And when it says we're going to be serving, we're going to do work that will be meaningful. Just like Adam and Eve before the fall. This is why there's a tree. Can't wait to get my, what do you call that? My, what do, when, you give, when, you, when you're given like a, an assignment, what do you call that? When you're at work, you're given an assignment. What is it? Homework. homework, not homework, but like yeah. assignment, task. Yeah, I can't wait because my mom tells me I want to be the gardener. <laughs> she wants to be the gardener. Yeah, I guess you can make a request. Can I be the gardener? <laughs> but we're going to be doing work that will fill us up because we're going to be reigning over the creation of Yahuwah forever and ever. But that's not the best part. Did you catch the best part of all about heaven? How many caught it? The best part of heaven. I mean, like... It's not just raining forever and ever. The best part of heaven, brethren. Yes. Next slide, please. They shall see his face. His name shall be on their foreheads. Brethren, we will see the face of you. Do you know how great that is? I want to go back to Moses. Remember Moses? Was Moses a great servant of God? Was he loved by Yahuwah? Did he show his glory to Moses? Yeah. Take a look at this. The book of Exodus 33, 19 and 23, Yahuwah sets apart Moses and tells Moses to come here. I'm going to show you my glory. Yahuwah replied, I will make all my goodness, his glory, pass before you. And I will call out my name. Yahuwah calls out his own name. For people who say, oh, there's no need to call out the name Yahuwah. Yahuwah is telling us here how 
He even calls out his own name. Bible says, I will call out my name, Yahuwah, before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not di look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Yahuwah continued, look, stand near me on the rock as my glorious presence passes by. I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind. You see the backside of God. But my face will not be seen. Yahuwah sets apart Moses and he tells Moses, I want to show you my glory. I want to show you my goodness. But you can't watch my face. Why? Because he's going to die. That's too much goodness for him. Too much glory for a human being to process. You know, it's like we have a limited capacity to enjoy Yahuwah right now because of our bodies, right? Moses, he got the glimpse of the back of God. But the Bible says in the future, what shall we be able to do? Next slide. We will see his face. What does that mean? We will experience the full goodness, the full glory of Yahuwah. When Moses saw the back of God for just a couple of minutes, maybe seconds, he glowed in glory for several days. I don't know what he felt like, but that feeling must be euphoric, right? Joy. Just to glimpse Yahuwah from far away. How much more if you stand face to face? When Yahuwah says, you will see my face. Can you imagine how that would mean? It means the infinity of Yahuwah is what we get to enjoy. This is why the joy in heaven is going to get greater and greater and greater. You get it? Because we're going to absorb his infinity. And because we are not infinite, it's going to take us a forever. We're not going to be bored. We're going to be filled with joy and anticipation well how are we going to be able to see yahuwah face to face when moses could not how is that possible how do you think that's possible how will we get to see face to face yahuwah when moses could not <laughs> let's read i want you to take a look at this passage first john 3 1 to 2 if there's a passage that should inspire you it should be this this is really inspiring how great is the love the father has lavished lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him dear friends now we are children of God because we have been redeemed right and what we will be in the future in the future has not yet been made known but we know that when he the Christ appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So how can we see face to face Yahuwah and live and experience all that glory and be able to remain alive? Our bodies are going to be changed. to be like the body of who? Yahushua. Why? Why does Yahuwah want to change our bodies? You notice the word used here? Because we are children of God. He has plans for his children. What kind of plans? The Bible says you haven't even seen it yet. We have an idea, but we don't fully know. 
But when you fully know it, the Bible says he is going to lavish on us such love that we cannot comprehend it. Do you know what the meaning of the word lavish is? What's the meaning of lavish? It's like exuberant, luxury. It's like Yahuwah's, it's like Apostle John saying, you know what, Yahuwah's going to spoil you. <laughs> That's what it really means. He's going to spoil us with so much love. Not the kind of bad spoiling. This is an extravagant kind of love that you cannot figure out. How does this even make sense? I mean, we're just puny humans made of dust. He's the creator of all things, and he's going to lavish. He's going to lavish us with love that we cannot comprehend. This is why Apostle Paul, this is what he had to say when the, the plan of Yahuwah is said and done. Corinthians 2 verse 9, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You think you got heaven figured out? No, you haven't. You can't imagine just how grand it is. Brethren, what Yahuwah was preparing for us made even the angels weep in silence because they could not figure out why. Even the angels talking amongst themselves are, are thinking, why does Yahuwah love them so much? He loves us and he's preparing his place for us. This is why what should be our response as we think about the eighth day. Let's read the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 down to 5. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Yahushua Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Yahushua Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have put a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Brethren, how much does Yahuwah love us? Not only did he prepare the place we're going to live. Not only did he prepare what we're going to be doing. Not only does he prepare our bodies. Not only does he have something waiting us in his place of eternity. The Bible says he's protecting that right now. And he's protecting us as well. Because right now, brethren, we are still in a journey. We're not yet there. We are in a journey, right? But because of this great expectation on the eighth day, what should be our resolve? Every day in our life, it should be to praise God. Brothers and sisters, is it okay? Just two seconds. In your mind, in your heart, can you say, Yahuwah, thank you. Yahuwah, praise you for what you have done. We don't realize, brethren, how, how fortunate we are, you know. There's all this joy awaiting us. Yahuwah planned every detail. We cannot even imagine what Yahuwah has planned for him. And he's protecting our inheritance. And he's protecting us on our way there. This is why we must celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It's but right we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. But the question is, next slide, how must we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? You know how? With joy. With great joy. 
This is what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. It started off, you have to go to a wilderness and make your own tent, right? But then what characterizes the celebration of Tabernacles? Next verse, Deuteronomy 16, 13 and 15. Bible says this festival will be a happy time celebrating with your sons and daughters for seven days you must celebrate this festival but that's not even the full full extent of it there's the eighth day the festival will be a time of great joy for all the feast of tabernacles Yahuwah has a command and this command applies to all of us today you know what that command is rejoice rejoice can you obey that command you might be saying, well, I can, I can obey that command. But right now, I'm going through a lot. I mean, let's face reality. You know, the three times Yahuwah tells the people of Israel to gather together in a feast throughout the year were happy times. But those are only three days, right? Three, three times, three seasons. But the rest of the year, life is tough. After the worship service today, you're going to go back to work, right? You're going to go back to your own homes. Life is tough. Why? Next slide. We live in a wilderness. Right now, we live in a wilderness. It's dangerous. We live in difficult times. Life is filled with sorrow and death. Yes, we have a party. We go on vacation. We have a reunion. But what happens eventually? Time to leave. You know what the worst part about going on a vacation? When you have to go back, right? Can you imagine all that you are this high and then all of a sudden you're this low and then you have to go to work and you're tired? That's life, right? You have a reunion. Eventually, at some point, you're going to begin to realize, you know, this is going to end someday. And sadness kind of takes over. During our time today, sickness, war, violence. So many things happening. How can I rejoice? Right? How can I be filled with joy when all these bad things are happening in life? Also, Peter says the following. 1 Peter 1, 6-7. So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many, many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Yahushua Christ is revealed to the whole world. How can we, why do we experience so much sadness in this life? Don't be surprised. Apostle Peter says we must go through how many kinds of trials? Many. Fiery trials. What is the purpose of Yahuwah in taking us through the wilderness? It is so that we can come out pure gold. You see, remember what we said earlier? Yahuwah did not want to create Adam and Eve like robots. What did he want? He wanted redeemed human beings. Those who went to the gauntlet of fiery, the fiery furnace. Those who went through suffering and pain and knows what it's like. This is why when we get to heaven, when we begin to realize what we had to go through, we will think Yahuwah, Yahuwah wants us to go through it because he wants to create gold in us. He wants us to become like gold. 
But the truth is, brethren, it's not that easy. When a person is going through difficult times, when a person is going through suffering, sometimes the only thing you think about, I want to quit, right? But when we are being tested, maybe some of you are being tested now. What should be our response to pass the test? We read six to seven. This is how we pass the test, brethren. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. What's the key? What must we do to go through the fire and come out as gold? The Bible says we have to trust. We have to love. We have to choose to obey in such a way to show to Yahuwah, to Yahusha, no matter what happens, I will not let go of you. Because I trust you and because I love you. Yahuwah knows. Yahusha knows. Life here on earth is difficult. He knows that. He knows. Yahusha, before he went to heaven, when he spoke to his disciples, because he knew they're going to go through someone by the name of Nero, right? Yahusha told them the following. In the book of John 14, 1 4, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. What did our King Yahusha? Say to his disciples, because he knew they were going to go through trouble, persecution, and suffering. Our king says to them, and he speaks to us as well. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do we have a troubled heart now? Are we going through some pains and aches now? Are you going through challenges with your children, your parents, your siblings, someone? Do you have a physical Affliction that you are enduring? Are we faced by so many troubles and problems in life? If Yahusha was here, let me correct that. He is here. He's here now. What will he say to each and every one of us? Exactly that. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in God. What can we trust? Yahusha about. Yahusha goes on to say, there's more than enough room. And we saw that. There's more than enough room. But each of us will have our own place. In whose house? The Father's house. What does that mean? We're going to be together. And this is the message of Tabernacles, brethren. Tabernacles is about being together. It's about the assembly being together. This is why Yahuwah commanded the people of Israel to always be together during the feast. Because it is a rehearsal of when we'll be together. Together with the people we love. To be with Yahusha. Yahusha is preparing that place. 
You can't wait to go there. But for us to make it there, we have to trust in Yahuwah. We have to trust in Yahusha. Question, do you trust? Do you trust Yahuwah? Yes. Do you trust Yahusha? Do you know how the tabernacles event teaches us how to trust Yahuwah? In the slide we, saw, we showed earlier, right now we're in the wilderness. And the wilderness is a place of sadness and a dangerous place. But how? What is the purpose of Yahuwah in taking his people to the wilderness? It is to train them, to train us how to trust. What is the meaning of trust? To depend, not just some of the time, but to depend upon Yahuwah day by day. This is why throughout the wilderness journey, what did they depend upon Yahuwah for? Food, right? They would look up and they would see the manna falling. Every day they would look up. And so what were they trained to do? Look up. Depend on Yahuwah. Every day. Not twice a week. Every day. To look up to Yahuwah. That's what it means to trust. And even today. During our time. Especially now. During our time. What should we do? How can we show trust to Yahuwah? The book of Isaiah. We're almost done. 45, 22, look to me. Yahuwah speaking. And he's speaking to all of us. Yahuwah says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is no other. Right now, Yahuwah's looking at us. And he says to us, look to me. Every day when you wake up in the morning, look up, brethren. And just say something to Yahuwah. Praise him. Thank you for this day. I look up to you. You are my everything. Please guide my steps. Look to me. There's no other God but me. Look to me, Yahuwah says, and you will be saved. You know what? Yahuwah invites us to do, which is why he says to us, look to me. In the book of Psalms 34, 8 to 10. Oh, put God to the test and see how kind he is. See for yourself. See for yourself the way his mercies shower down on all who trust in him. If you belong to you, who shall reverence him? For everyone who does this has everything he needs. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those of us who reverence Yahuwah will never lack any good thing. Brothers and sisters, every day look up to him. And then he says, test me. Yahuwah says, test me. When he was with his people Israel, test me if I will not give you the manna. Yahuwah is telling us now, test me. See how kind I am. See for yourself. Yahuwah invites us to taste for, your, for ourselves how good he is. Yahuwah, when he was leading Israel, you know, he was looking at his, Yahuwah wants his people to look up to him every day. And you might be thinking, now why? Why would Yahuwah want us to look up to him every day? And then there's this beautiful passage in the Bible that talks about it. And I just want to share that with you before we end. Because it kind of boggles the mind. You know, Yahuwah himself, he says, look to me. Every day look to him. There has to be a reason. And in fact, there is it's a beautiful reason. 
And that's at the heart of the message of tabernacles. What is that? Hebrews 2, 5 to 7. God has not placed the angels as rulers over the new world to come. The world of which we speak instead, as it is said somewhere in the scriptures. What are human beings, oh God, that you should think of them, mere human beings, that you should care for them. You made them for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. Brethren, if ever you are sad or suffering, just remember the eighth day. You're going through something. There is still the eighth day. Because sometimes when bad things happen to us, we say it's the end of all things. My life is ruined. It's the end of the world. No matter what you're going through, say to yourself, there is the eighth day. And Yahuwah tells us the reason why. He wants his people to look up to him. It's because Yahuwah is looking at us every single day. Why? Because he thinks of us. Because he cares for us. How much does he think about us? We're almost done. Let's read the book of Psalms 139. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Brethren, when, you're, when we live out our life, we don't see God. But he sees us. And he always thinks of us. Now it makes sense. Why Yahuwah told his people Israel every day look up. Why he's telling us today look up to me. Because every day. What is he doing? He's looking down at us. Every day. Every day. You're sleeping. He's thinking of you. When was the last time we thought about Yahuwah? When was the last time? We truly, truly thanked him. For what he gave and what he intends to do. The Bible says, even before you were born, I knew you. He speaks that of us. We can't even count the thoughts he has for us. This is why Yahuwah wants us to look up to him. Because when he's looking down at us and we look up to him, guess what? There's connection there. In other words, he wants us to always pray to him, to always fellowship with him. And so if we believe, if you believe right now, Yahuwah's looking at us now, if you really believe, why not pray to him? Why not pray to him every day? You know, brethren, if there's a prayer that we can make, let us make them at all of our heart. And what does Yahuwah want us to ask from him? 
Let's read the final passage of our studies today. This is what it says in Psalms. Yahuwah, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and unfaithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me. Too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Yahuwah, please, Yahuwah, rescue me. Come quickly, Yahuwah, and help me. Yahuwah, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and, unfaith and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Yahuwah. Please, Yahuwah, rescue me. Come quickly, Yahuwah, and help me. Brethren, if any of us are facing trouble, if the trouble that plagues us is because of our sins, why not pray this prayer now? Why not ask, Yahuwah, loving Abba, help me, protect me, rescue me, come quickly. Do not hold back your tender mercies. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. Yahuwah Abba is great. Yahuwah Abba is a God of love, and he loves each one of us. He cannot wait to bring us home, to be home with him. So we can see his face together with the people we love. This is what we wait for. This is what we rehearse. Praise his feet to our loving Abba for calling us into fellowship with him. Everlasting Father. Yes. Yahuwah. Yahuwah. Yes. Behold your sons and daughters. Yes. We assemble together yes. to celebrate your love, yes. to cry out your name, yes. Yahuwah. Thank you for thinking of us. Yes. Who are we that you are mindful of us? Yes. We believe it. Yes. Your love is unfailing. Yes. We can feel your presence now. Yes. You are unfolding your purpose. Yes. You have precious plans for all of us. Yes. You know us by name, yes. even before our birth. Yes. You took us into your arms. Yes. You spoke to our souls. You spoke to our hearts. You uphold us. Yes. Father, Abba. Thank you so much. We cannot wait to see you face to face. We are prepared to endure all things. You can do all things. When we thought we were alone during our days of suffering, we now know 
every moment in our life, even in times of slumber, you watch over us. You think of us. When we understand this, it gives us much joy. Remember your people here. We mentioned to you our troubles. You invited us to taste your goodness, to see for ourselves how kind you are. We know you are gracious because when we look at our lives, the sins we have done, we deserve your punishment, but you gave up your son. And now you invite us to be with you forevermore. We want to be with you in times of sadness. When our, the people we love, when we no longer are able to see them, we are overtaken by grief. When we suffer physical afflictions, when events happen in our life, that we cannot comprehend when bad things happen to this world. We will remember you have a plan. Your work is not yet finished. You are preparing us. You are preparing a place. We can be with you forevermore. Our prayer at this moment, we pray for our children that they will understand just how precious you are. How can we make them understand? We are helpless. You can reach out to them, reach out into their hearts that they will live for you when they taste your goodness, when they will be able to say within themselves, Yahuwah is my Elohim. I trust in him. We will be filled with joy. When you are preparing a place, include our family, include our children, include our parents. When that trumpet is blown and we will go to our rooms in your house may we see the people we love may we be together forevermore our king yahusha our shepherd listen to the cries of your sheep the enemy seeks to devour us what can we do against him We rely on you by your staff. Bring us peace. Bring us joy. We are prepared to endure all things and everything because of you. We have not yet seen you face to face, but we have faith. We love you with all of our hearts. Father, thank you so much for blessing your people. Bless everyone, wherever they may be. Strengthen our faith. Never, ever leave us. We will always look for you. Reward us with your presence. That is what we truly need. 
And that is what we truly want. Thank you, Father, for listening to us. Praises be unto you. Thank you and thank you again for your blessings in our life. We ask everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. unfailing love and tender mercies overshadow us. The memory and peace of Yahusha HaMashiach strengthen us and the constant companionship of the Ruach Kadash be with all of us now and forevermore. Amen.